the prop. So you get you get one of the backups. You get me. So for the next thirty minutes. So we are doing. Um, yeah, Justin, you gotta you you can't heckle me too hard, okay? You gotta go easy on me today. So we are doing a new series. This is my church. I don't know if you knew that, but we are. And we're really trying to inspire you, encourage you, admonish you to take ownership of this church in particular, to understand that you're needed, you're valuable, that this is your church, that you're part of something important here. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by the church. I grew up in a church, and I've been going to church my whole life, different churches, I don't know what you think of when you think of the church. I think it's something that we can all sort of think about and we can easily grasp it because that's just where our Christianity is often practiced. But sometimes I find it to be inspiring and encouraging and great comfort and a great peace. And sometimes I find it to be very challenging and very confrontational and very difficult because the church is just the most unique thing in the whole world. It is so special, so unique, because the people that come into the church literally have nothing in common in this world. (laughs) What we have in common is not of this world. And that makes it very unique and very special, but also very challenging. And today I want to talk to you about The title of this sermon is, This is Our Church. I'm taking a little spin on the series title, This is Our Church. Today I want to talk to you about God's plan for the church and how God set this out and set our destinies together. It's a lofty goal for a sermon, but today we're going to talk about God's plan for the church and our response to that. So let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. I have two points today, and they're, they're, I asked my wife, are these points too cheesy? And she said, no. <laughs> She said, points are supposed to be cheesy. Yeah, I guess so. I never thought of Okay, so point number one is God's plan from the beginning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Read along with me, please. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision... That is done by done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, 
thus making peace, and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are near, and peace to you who are far away. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, this is one of my, my favorite um, scriptures in the Bible, um, Ephesians 2 through 4. And it reveals the plan of God to create one family, to create one united humanity. So why are we talking about this? Well, people for all time, in all places, have been dividing themselves up into groups. From the origins of the history of mankind, we've been dividing ourselves up. I think it's just part of who we are, and it will always be that way. It always has been, it is now, and it always will be. Small families, little tribes, extended families, geographically centered nations, people groups, cultures, kingdoms, empires. We've been dividing ourselves up, and now it's, it's a little bit more you know, nuanced, but we're still part of tribes. Even you might be part of a different tribe than the people that are your neighbors, but we still have groups, right? And I think in the age of Trump, everyone is, you know, learning about this, but it's not new to Trump. Politically, racially, culturally, economically, ideologically, everyone has a group. Everyone's got a tribe. If you don't think you do, then think about it, and you'll find that you're part of a group. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. There's a lot of good, actually, that that is good about being part of a group. We're actually a group here. That's what I'm trying to promote. But there are, you know, downsides to it. But I think that God's plan was, was different than the way that humans have sorted themselves out. For a long time, this was the way it was with God's people, too. He called a specific family. He called Abraham, his descendants. He took a particular group, a particular people group, and he said, you're going to be my special people. And for a long time, it was very clear who was in God's family and who wasn't. There was clear marks, and there was some exceptions, and there was some very important exceptions to this. But if you were in this family, you were part of God's family, and if you weren't in that family, you weren't part of God's family. And I think God had a a plan through that, but that was very clear. Okay, so let's fast forward. The prophets and the kings came along. Israel's identity started to break down. They started to split up. They started to make their own divisions. They wanted kings. They wanted people to rule them. They didn't want God to be their ruler. And so their, their identity started to fracture. And then, then God basically sends other nations in and completely wipes out Israel. People are taken into exile. And there's this sort of debate in Israel, like, why did God 
send us into exile. And the prophets, you know, they have this sort of debate on why that is, and that's sort of an interesting story. But the prophets really started to criticize this identity of Israel, and I really think that they were a precursor to Jesus. Now, the, 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 what we're talking about in Ephesians 2, it didn't fully come into fruition until Jesus, because Jesus was the last line in this long line of prophets that was declaring, hey, the time is coming when there's not going to be this barrier between this family and everyone else. The time is coming when the kingdom is going to welcome all people in. All people groups. No divisions, no you know, politics, no culture, no race, no ethnicities, no, no differences. And I think, you know, when I read Paul's words in Ephesians 2, I have this reaction like it's really harsh. Like the people who are Gentiles by birth, literally just because of the family they were born into, were excluded from God's promises, were excluded from his covenant. But I think that what I find so inspiring and so comforting is that Christ came to break down that barrier and to fully, to, to, to create the church. And it was the climax of God's plan to bring humanity together. Yeah. You know, everyone's part of the party. Everyone's invited. Yeah. And that's where we are today. Everyone is invited, and there's no barriers. And does that mean the church is going to be perfect? Far from it. Does that mean that we're going to be completely diverse and agree on everything? Far from it. Because we, in our nature, we want to make divisions. But the goal, guys, the vision, the vision of God was to create one humanity. Jesus did not come just to save sinners. Now, that was a big, big, big part of what he came to do. Jesus didn't come just to forgive your sins on a personal level, although that was a big, big part of what he came to do. He also came, it was God's expressed intent and God's plan that Jesus would come to create one family out of many. And if you don't understand how incredible that is, I'm sorry, I'm not preaching with the same passion that I normally, I'm feeling weird today. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know what it is. But the, the, it's so incredible. I just imagine in the first century in, in Rome, and, and Rome, Roman, uh, the Roman Empire was becoming more cosmopolitan, I think, because Rome was doing something new. They were, instead of just taking over and destroying other people, they were kind of coming in and saying, well, we'll... we'll We'll help you. We'll protect you. You just have to pay taxes. We'll kind of assimilate you into our culture. We'll, we'll give you our art. And they sort of colonized the world that way. They were doing it a little bit nicer than, than other people. But there were still these distinct people groups all over the Roman Empire. And Jerusalem was kind of a hot spot where there was all these you know, different groups. But they were still distinct. And I'm pretty sure they were all still kind of hanging out like with their own people. So imagine the first century church. Everyone's invited, young and old, men and women, slaves and free men. Can you imagine that? Pious Jews, um, pagan Gentiles, all kinds of folks, prostitutes, 
tax collectors, people from all walks of life coming together. Literally, yeah, it was a party. And literally, it's only something that can happen through divine intervention. Like what we have here right now, which is the extension of that first century church, it can't happen other than through God. You'll never, ever, ever, ever see this happening except because of God. And that is something that I think is so incredible. Okay, so let me see where I am. Okay, so this is the beauty of the church, right? This is the beauty of it, is that we're all together. But it also brings certain challenges. And the diversity is something that we need to celebrate, but it's also something that we need to be aware of. And certain, you know, aspects of that are going to obviously bring friction and bring challenges. I think we're fighting in our culture against a culture of individualism Mm -hmm. and a culture that, in many ways, by most measures, most, I'm not a sociologist or an anthropologist, but... (laughs) Most people say that we are, as a, as a culture, as a society, as, as a nation, we're, we're losing our sense of community. Our community involvement has gone down. You get, you get what I'm saying? So involvement in associations and political groups and extracurricular things has gone down over time. And I think people are yearning for community. Yeah. They really are. If you talk to people, they, they, we're interesting creatures, humans. We want, like, we want to claim our independence, but then we sort of, we have this part of our soul that just hates isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people yearn for that, and they're looking for it in different places than they used to look for it in, right. but they're still looking for it. <coughs> you know, we, um, Lyon and I, were doing this thing called the November Project, which is just a free workout on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., mm-hmm. and it was just random people that would show up to work out every Wednesday, 52 weeks of the year. And people, like, love that. They get so into it. They, they have these chants, and they take pictures, and it's literally like a church. It's, I mean, it's kind of like a cult, a little bit. Um, like, very borderline. You know, when, the only thing is when we stopped going, no one was, like, calling us or anything. But, but people are looking for community. They want to they have something to come together and, and because you know, we don't have the same faith in, in our political system and our churches, yeah. people are looking in new places. But I think you know, this is something so incredible that we have to offer to the world and we can't take it for granted. Yeah. We can't forget how amazing it is. Yeah. So God's plan specifically was to bring the Jews and Gentiles together, but I think more generally his plan was to bring all humanity together, and we're seeing the fruit of that plan right now. It was literally only something divine that could make this happen, the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus to bring down that wall of hostility. But what's amazing is that we're also part of this plan. And as we talk about this is my church, we have to get it in our heads the tension between, is God working in the world or are we working in the world? And I think it's both. And I don't know, I'm not a theologian. I don't know how that all works. But I think that God has created this incredible church. And, and I don't think it would be here without God. But we're part of it too. And we have a responsibility to that as well. Yeah. So my second point is, first point was 
God's plan from the beginning. Second point is our task till the end. So let's read Ephesians 3, verse 1. You know, this church, it didn't happen by accident. It happened by God and through God and through the Holy Spirit, but it also happened because of people. Because people had the foresight and, the, and they were thinking and they were praying and they were sacrificing. People in this room and people outside of this room. And you wouldn't be here without that sacrifice. You wouldn't be here without the thought and the energy and the hopes and dreams of all each one of you yeah. that has made this happen. Yeah. And I want to lift you up like, it is incredible to be part of this church. And I am so proud. I am so proud to, to be brothers and sisters with you guys. Yeah. Have you guys ever run into disciples outside of church? Isn't that like the coolest thing ever? I mean, like 99% of the time, it's cool. There's sometimes where it's a little awkward, but... So I ran into AJ, and this is in the 99%. Yesterday, I ran into AJ in public, and... and yeah. And uh, he, he gave me a hug, and I was like, this is awesome! This guy's my friend! And it was just so cool. But we're, we're part of a family, and I want... You know, I want you guys to, to have a, a, a gratitude and appreciation for that. Yeah. And also to understand that the challenge that we have. There's more to be done. There are greater things ahead. And God is calling us higher in our devotion, in our commitment yeah. to this church. I really have this vision and I have this prayer by the end of this series that we can we can just move a little bit in that direction of saying, this is my church. Yeah. Amen. I'm part of this. This is our church. Amen. And we own this. Yeah. Ephesians 3, verse 1, right after. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration. Okay, so this is actually a parenthetical thing that Paul's doing. He's saying, I want to urge you about... You know, I, oh, I'm a prisoner for the Lord for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he kind of goes and says, oh yeah, that Gentile thing. Let me tell you about that. Okay, so we're going to skip all that. So go to, go to Ephesians 4, verse 1, where he kind of goes back into his argument. He takes a long time to talk about his, his calling and the amazing plan of bringing the Gentiles in. Nice. But we're going to jump right. It's actually Ephesians 2 jumps right. You can skip. Well, you don't want to skip it, but. so let's jump to Ephesians 4 verse 1 what is the task as a prisoner of the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, what is our task? Well, we have a lot of things. There's a lot of things once you understand the grand plan of God to create this church. 
we all have a role to play in that church. And where do, where do we start? I don't know. Where do I start? I start here. I start with living a life worthy of the calling that I've received, the grace that I received, the, the salvation that I received. I want to live worthy of that. Yeah. I want to be completely humble and gentle. I want to be patient. I want to bear with you in love. I want to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit I want to understand that each one of us has been given grace differently. There's great unity here, but there's differences among us. And God has apportioned that differently. Our task is about relationships. This is very challenging for me because as as my profession is an engineer. And the profession of engineering is very, very different from the task of the church. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes that is causing me a lot of emotional conflict. <laughs> because our task is about relationships. Yeah. It's not about engineering. <laughs> For me, that's hard because I, 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 I struggle with relationships. I've always kind of, I was an outcast for a long time and I've I've always struggled to relate to people, and I'm kind of a fringe person. So it's hard for me personally. I think, um, I, I, I think I'm part of the process of sanctification, that I'm, I'm on a journey. And I was talking to Lan yesterday. I was like, I'm so convicted by this sermon. Why is preaching like stabbing yourself in the heart? Because that's what it's like for me. It's like, oh, you want to preach on Sunday? <laughs> Calling people to a greater commitment is always going to take great humility, right? And that's what I'm calling you today, and it takes great humility because I'm not good at relationships, and I want to grow in that. And Lyanne said, well, you're only 31. I said, well, that's, that's comforting because we're all on a journey, right? 31. I don't know if 31 is old, young. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so moving on. <laughs> All right, so I want, I want to introduce this video, and we're going to watch a, a quick clip. And I've been kind of watching this on repeat for a few weeks, and I just find it to be really challenging and really inspiring. And um, I, I think that this sort of captures the heart of Jesus and what he was to people, and it, it captures the heart of what we need to be to each other, and I want to just um, inspire you with this video. Um, the man who's going to be speaking, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he, um, he founded a Christian community for people with developmental disabilities, and it's a worldwide community. And so that's sort of the context of it, but I think it applies to much more than that. So um, at this time, we'll watch the video. Each one going up, going up the ladder 
as high as they can go, and promotion, and money, and, and all this sort of stuff. It's all got mucked up, because there's a culture which is saying that I have to be more powerful than my neighbor. And being more powerful than my neighbor, I don't learn to share it with people. I learn to be above them. So the secular world is a world where there can be a danger of forgetting the we, that we're part of a, a family. How can this change? The question will always be how to lose power. So spirituality then is about getting close to people who have been rejected. It's breaking down the wall that separates the rich and the poor. But there's something else. It's a meeting. And a meeting implies that I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're just children of God. It's a movement of going down. Not believing in power and in promotion. When somebody meets me in the depth of my being, where I don't have to pretend that I'm better than others, is a liberation. A liberation to be myself. There's only one thing that really matters. Relationship. Do love me. Do love me as I am. And so, that is a place of revelation. Somewhere the discovery that we can meet. Without any ladders, and I receive your gift, you receive my gift. So there's something that happens, a moment of communion, a moment of joy. And that's where fundamentally joy is. When we meet people, not above them, not below them, but as children of God. Okay, um, so that pretty much says it all. <laughs> I don't know why it just got me, because I think that a lot of my life on a personal level is, I think I buy into that, that culture of, of success and the culture of, of force and the culture of power and promotion and putting a lot of stock in my own success and a lot of stock in my own accolades. And, you know, I work at a big company and I'm not, I'm like, you know, I started at the very bottom and now I'm like just, you know, barely above the bottom. But there is that temptation in, in certain work environments to, yeah. to, you know, to go up and up and up and up and to impress people. And there's always that temptation. Yeah. And I, I have to be honest with you, I think I bought into that. And, you know, lately, I think I've found that there's, it's, it's been tried and it's wanting because it's empty. Yeah. But I'm convicted by Jesus and I'm convicted by this video um, because as we meet people that what matters is not our success, yeah. 
not who we are, what value we bring to them. To live that way is to be neurotic about who we are. And it's not a way to be happy. It's not a way to be joyful. It only brings pain to always be comparing ourselves and putting ourselves above people or below people. And I just don't want to live that way anymore. And I know that that's going to be a journey. I know that's not going to change overnight for me. But I want to invite you to, to, to join me in that journey. And this isn't in my notes, but I'm on a journey. Come on, come on, come on, on board. I'm convicted by Jesus. Because Jesus had every, everything. He had every reason to be above people. But he just met people where they were. And he invited people to the party. I want to invite you. You're part of the party. You're here. You're literally here. You're part of God's eternal, destined, divine plan to build one family, to build one church. But we have a task. We have an incredible task before us. You know, I'm a big picture guy, and I'm inspired by these things, but when it comes down to it, what can we do? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? I think it's the little things. I think it's the daily little decisions. Meeting people, seeing people. Meeting people in your family group. You know, it's the family group's like a little microcosm of the church. And it's a little place that we get to practice this. Sometimes, you know, in a big group, that, that sense of family can get lost. And I think we're really trying to, you know, build that. But your family group, there might be complete strangers there. There may be people that are different, you know, skin color than you, different cultures, speak different languages than you, come from a different economic strata. There may be people older than you, younger than you. There may be Democrats or Republicans (laughs) and independents and (laughs) green and everything else. (laughs) But what brings us together, right, is, like I said, it's the only place in the world. It's amazing. What brings us together is not of this world. So what we have in common in this world is going to be slim and can't be relied on. So I want to challenge you. Do the little things. Your coworkers, the people in your family group, your friends, your neighbors. Each of us has this little sphere of relationships. And the task is, is little. It's like, what is the, the thing that I have right now to be godly? Okay, that, that's where I'm at. I don't know. Okay. That's pretty much all I have, guys. I'm excited about this series. I am super pumped about talking about the church. I think it's a really important topic. And it's an important, weighty topic to consider. Because God has brought us together. We're, we're kind of connected. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Because we live in this culture of individualization, right? And we think that, oh, it's me and God. No. We're in covenant with one another. Maybe you didn't think you were in covenant with me, but I'm in covenant with you. I have a covenant with you, and I take that very seriously. Guys, let's celebrate the church, but let's also remember that we have a task in front of us, and I want to call you to a greater devotion through the Holy Spirit, through God's power. 
Amen. Thank Amen. you. Amen.